Father, I'm thankful that um, you will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able to bear. And with that temptation, you will provide a way of escape. Thank you for your promise. Help us to believe your word, to trust your word. When you say something, you mean it. We can trust you and we can live by it. So bless us now as we start this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, we started out the first day about the statement, and it was out of early writings. And I talked about that many people that are baptized are buried alive and self does not die. Okay, and that's why we have so many problems in the church, because self is always rising up and wanting our own way. So uh, this one is what, out of early writings. I saw a very large company professing the name of Christ, but God did not recognize them as his. He had no pleasure in them. Satan seemed to assume a religious character and was very willing that the people should think that they were Christians. He was very anxious that they should believe in Jesus, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Because uh, Satan and his angels believed these things too, because they were there. Okay? But if this faith does not provoke to, provoke to good works, and lead them who profess it to imitate the self-denying life of Christ, Satan is not disturbed because he can even use us better within the church to discourage people. And then plus, the outside world looking on go, oh, those are supposedly Christians. And so it gives Christ a bad name. Okay, and that's what I started with. And so we've been building on that, how to walk, went through the born-again experience and all that. But I got to this point this morning at 3.30, I thought, you know what? I haven't shared with them what it means to deny self, self-denying. So uh, Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't read the whole thing. I, it basically said what I said. Uh, they merely assume the Christian name, while the hearts are still carnal, and the carnal heart is enmity towards God. So we can't have a carnal heart, we need a new heart that God promises to give to us. And he can use them in his service even better than if they made no profession at all. Okay? So we don't want to be on that side. We don't be in that, want to be in that camp. So self-denial. In, in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said this. And he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Now, every one of us have a different cross, a different thing we have to bear. But we need to pick it up daily, commit our ways unto the Lord, and submit our, our plans and things to Him, and then allow Him to direct our paths. Amen? Okay. So, this is what self-denial means. Sometimes we get self-denial, and we think, well, I'm going to stop eating ice cream, or cheese, or something else. And, and Jody gave you that assignment about pulling the flesh, feeling the pull of the flesh the other day, that no one did. <laughs> That's okay. We taught high school for 20-some years. We're used to our students not doing their homework, so it's okay. Don't, don't lose any sleep over it. So uh, self-denial means to rule a spirit when passion is seeking for the mastery, and that can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and things. I just dropped a bottle of water in my lap on over, coming on over here and sat in it all the way over here. And so... Um, my passion was starting to rise. I, I can't, my passion can't rise. I've got to teach this class now. I've I got to stay calm, right? Uh, uh, number two, to resist temptation, to censor and speak fault-finding words. Have you ever been tempted to do that? To find fault with uh, someone, a church member, someone on the board, your pastor, the conference president, the president of the United States, whoever it is, to fall, find, uh, speak fault-finding words. Uh, number three, to have patience with a child that is dull and whose conduct is grievous and trying. You have to die yourself. I taught school for 23 years, high school. I had a number of students that had grievous uh, yeah, conduct, grievous conduct. And so I had many opportunities to die to the old nature of flaring up and wanting to strangle somebody and say, oh, yeah, I understand, sure. Well, bring it next time, okay? And, you know, you'll go through it. So a number of years of practicing that. And the parents would come in and tell me at the end of the school year, my, you have a lot of patience. Well, I really didn't have a lot of patience. <laughs> I mean, God has given me victory over, over my old nature. So, okay, that's, that's number um, three. Number four, to stand at the post of duty when others may fail. To lift responsibility 
wherever and whenever you can, uh, you can not for the sake of applause, uh, but uh, but for policy, or but what? Oh, but for policy, but for the sake of the master who has given you a work to be done with unwavering fidelity. We do it for Jesus Christ. We're doing it for God. When God directs us something, do it for him. And then the little irritations of life are not going to bother us because we're realizing we're not doing it for ourselves. And I'm not working for you. I'm working for the creator of the universe. And so it helps us to be more focused. And number six, when you might praise yourself to let others praise you. Self-denial, seven. Self-denial is to do good to others when inclination would lead you to serve and please yourself. And that's in volume four of the testimonies. And it'd be good to go back. I have a story for each one of those. I have a whole talk about that whole thing. So but that's all I'm going to give it to you. And you can fit your own life and your own situation in, into this council. Okay? And now I'm turning the time over to my lovely wife. Okay, Jesus had just finished... Think about this. Jesus, every single day, all day long, he had the opportunity to die to self, didn't he? The scribes and the Pharisees were continually in his face. He had just finished an altercation with them. He had just finished this discourse with them. And his disciples, sitting around, said, Lord, increase our faith. You know, and, I, and I, I wonder if the disciples even got it. You know, what was, what was going on, what was, Jesus was doing. And they say, Lord, increase our faith. Have you ever asked that question? Have you wanted your, let me ask you this. How many of you have asked for patience? Yeah? And what happens? You get all kinds of opportunities to practice patience, Right? Well, Jesus, here with his disciples, when they said, Lord, increase our faith, he answers, he said, if you, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, and you have seen mustard seed, right? It's about the size of quinoa. It's very small. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. If you had that much faith, it would obey you. And the disciples probably sat there like, huh? Have you seen a mustard tree? Jesus called it a mulberry tree here in this translation. But have you seen a mustard tree? I have a picture of it, not on these slides, but it's huge. These things are, are big and they're kind of scraggly looking. But he says, if you had, you could say to that tree to move and it would obey you. That much faith. So it tells me that they didn't have that much faith, because he said, if. Romans 1, 12, verse 3, God has given every man a measure of faith. I have a measure of muscle. I, just, I had a massage today, and the gal who did my massage says, I've got a lot of muscle. And she said, that's good. But he's given to every man a measure of faith. So what do I have to do to strengthen my muscles? Work them. So I've got this, mus this much muscle, but I can build it, right, if I exercise it. Faith is... Oh, I'm sorry about that. Now, what is faith? This, Jed talked about this the other day. Faith is trusting God, believing that he loves us and has our best interest in mind. Our best knows best what is for our good. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. Say it with me. Faith is trusting God, believing that he loves us, and knows best what is for our good. When, when you read that little passage, do you get... Um, maybe, maybe it comes to you this way, but it, this is how it comes to me. It's like a parent right? A parent who wants the best for the son or the daughter. That child trusts the parent and believes that the parent loves them. And so that child is going to submit, right? So faith is that same way. And also in Hebrews 11, you're going to find another 
um, definition of faith. So how does it grow? You ask the Lord to increase your faith. How is he going to do it? Is he trials? Well, I like this. Faith grows strong. Faith grows strong in earnest conflict with two things. What are they? Doubt and fear. So let me ask this question. How many of you want your faith increased? Uh, the hands are just a little bit more hesitant to go up there. Faith grows strong in earnest conflict with fear and doubt. So when these disciples asked Jesus to increase our faith, he said, okay, I will. It's coming. It's down the road a ways, but it will be increased. And those disciples learned, didn't they? Through conflict with fear and doubt. Can you imagine them in the upper room? Did they have those two things, fear and doubt? Yeah. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, finish it. Yeah? How many of you have ever heard that there's a time of trouble coming? You've heard it. Has it freaked you out? Honestly. Does it, does it just kind of like, man, I just, I don't know what it's going to be like. Memorize, this is your homework, and I'm not going to be able to be here to ask you if you have done it. I want you to memorize Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Let's go back over here. Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. That means he's going to stand up and he's going to say, that's enough. No more. It's done. He will arise and protect his people. He will arise to stand up for his people. He's like that big brother. He says, I've got your back. It's done. They won't hurt you anymore. Nothing can hurt you anymore. That's what the Bible says. At what time? When Michael stands up, he stands up at that the time of trouble, right? So during that time of trouble, he stands up and he protects. And it says, and at that time, your people, now this is specific, everyone whose name is written in the book of life. How do you get your name written in the book of life? The moment you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, the moment you say yes to Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You may still have all of your baggage, but you have said yes to Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, he says, great, I've got you. Come on over here with me. I'm sorry, Mr. Satan, you can't touch this one anymore without my permission. Your name is written there. It can only come out through your choice. I'm not saying once saved, always saved, because you can at any time say, excuse me, please delete my name, please cancel my subscription. It's up to you. But when you accept Christ, he is pledged to keep that which you have committed to him. Because he knows that we are dust. He knows that we are frail. He knows that we are faulty. But he says, that's okay. I've got enough of me to take care of it and to cover you. Okay? So the blessed assurance for the time of trouble. Would you like some assurance for this time of trouble that's coming? Now, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that we're supposed to rejoice on, in our tribulations and say praise the Lord when we have hard times and, and difficulties? Do you do that? I don't. My computer crashes. I don't say praise God. I'm so thankful that this thing crashed. I call James. Help me! I mean, there are certain things, certain things, certain triggers. We talked about those triggers the other day, remember? Watch for those triggers, those things that will just get you like that. A crashed computer will get me just like that. A washer that overflows will get me just like that. The car that won't start when I'm in a hurry gets me like that. So, 
I need assurance. <laughs> I need some help. Okay, so when I was... Yes, ma'am, sir. Excuse me. I notice uh, in Scripture when we suffer physical persecution for Christ, we rejoice, but when, the, when we suffer the mental ones is when our doubt comes in. Right. Like when we're, they were whipped with 40 lashes from prison, they were rejoiceful. But when, uh, I don't understand it. I haven't been there yet. But there must be some grace that, that is extended to them in order to, be, to, to do that. Mental stress. Right, right. So I used to be freaked out about the time of trouble. When I became a, I was a young Christian at 19, I'm hearing about the time of trouble and, and all of these things. And, and so because I was so insecure anyway, I, you know, I just had this fear factor. But... Some of the things that when we talk with people that, they're, that their fears are, we're going to just kind of go through some of these. The first one, this is like number one, is am I saved? Am I saved? That's the one doubt that they have. We ask people, do you have assurance of salvation? Do you, have, do you know that you have eternal life? And they say, well, I, I hope so, or I don't know. I really don't know if I do. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Well, yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, maybe I was baptized. So, so there's no, people have little, little assurance of eternal life. Those folks who have grown up in this wonderful, blessed church have very little assurance of eternal life. Their faith is smaller than, well, it's bigger. No, it's not. They have very little faith, like those disciples. And I was one of those. And if you were one of those, I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can write down, because we don't have the handout. I'll get it to you in the email. But you need to, and I cannot stress this enough. If you were in kindergarten and I was your teacher, I'd say, listen, you need... It is imperative. It is absolutely the most important thing you can do to memorize Scripture. To spend that time in Scripture and put it to memory. And I have people say, I, don't, I can't memorize. Yes, you can. You know your phone number. You know your address. You remember what your bank account has. You can memorize scripture, and if you're having a difficult time doing it, it's because Satan doesn't want you to hide that word in your heart. Memorize, memorize, memorize. My freshman, my sophomore classes had to memorize chapters. Chapters. And they gasp. My daughter had to memorize chapter 11 of Hebrews. Portions of the spirit of prophecy, memorize them. Write them out on cards, three-by-five cards, and pin them all through your house. You come to my house, you're going to see all kinds of quotes and scriptures to help me remember. The scriptures, the scriptures are going to get you through the time of trouble. The scriptures, you may not have your Bible with you. They have to be here and here. That's going to get you through. Just a second, Renee. Thoughts on the Mount of Blessings, page 100. We may well have anxiety and anticipate danger and loss, for it is certain to befall us. But when we really believe that God loves us and means to do us good, we shall cease to worry about the future. Now, I just read some words that are in that definition for faith. Faith is trusting God. Say it. Faith is trusting God believing that he loves us and knows best what is for our good. So if we really believe that God loves us and means to do us good, we will cease to worry about the future. We shall trust God as a child, trust the loving parent, and then our troubles and torments will disappear. Even in the midst of fire, like you were talking about there, brother, for our will, here we go again, we're talking about the will, is swallowed up with the will of God. Lord, I, did, I actually did this when the last computer crashed. Lord, thank you. I'm not upset about this right now. It was an accident. A young man from the church was trying to hook it up to the projector, and he did something but totally crashed, and it was a fairly new computer. So I'm, 
I'm not freaked out about that. Thank you, God, for keeping me, keeping me calm. My will is swallowed up in the will of God. I looked at the, that young man's face who had this, I'm so sorry, look on his face, and how could I, you know, rant? I just couldn't. God kept me from that, Renee. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Do not abandon that confidence of yours. It brings great reward. For you need endurance. I'm not a runner. I don't have endurance for that. But Paul here is saying you need endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive that which was promised. Now all those people from Abraham, from Noah, and from Adam all the way down, Hebrews says they did not receive the, the promise then. It was for later. Your promise is for you. You will receive it. Maybe not in this life, but then you will. So don't cast away your confidence. Where do you place your confidence? Where do you place your confidence? Where, where do you place your confidence? Scripture. 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 Yes, Jesus through the Scriptures. Just like that young man that said, I don't need the Scriptures. I've got the Holy Spirit. You need to have those Scriptures. The Scriptures are life. The Scripture is the power of God. It's the Word of God. It is the Word of God in script. Jesus is the Word of God in flesh. The same Word. Steps to Christ, 71. Have you noticed we've been using a lot of Steps to Christ? Have you been to the ABC and purchased a Steps to Christ? If you haven't, have do it. Good. Read it. We sh Good for you. We should not make self the center and indulge anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be saved. Period. Period. All this turns a soul away from the source of strength. When we turn, a, turn it back in and say, I'm so afraid of this. I don't know if I have salvation. What are we doing? Who are we looking at? Self. Remember, we're talking about self-denial. We're talking about the old man being crucified and laying off the old man. We need to put on the new man. So we have to redirect our thoughts. We have to re-educate ourselves. Those of us who have been living for more than 20 years have to relearn how to live. We cannot live our own way anymore. We have to learn to live his way. We have to give up our own desires to do it his way. And if that means even sending your family off somewhere because it's God's will, so be it. Right? James. Okay, you, know, you said it the right way. I think we often do say that. You know, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I have the strength. I. 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 Right. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That's when you should say, I can. Put away all doubt. Dismiss your fears. Rest in God. He is able to keep that which you have committed to him. And we could just say, thank you for coming. Have a great day. Put away all your fears. Let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it go. But I think you want a little more, don't you? Okay. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. How many of you have assurance? If you don't, don't raise your hand. How many of you have assurance today? I want to ask you, at this moment, in your own heart, to cry out to God and say, Lord, I give you permission to rule in my life. And as you do that, you have eternal life. Amen. Somehow, we have made it so difficult. It has become such a job, such a chore to have eternal life. And all Jesus said is, come unto me. We worry about doing everything right. We worry about, oh, I haven't gotten rid of that thing in my life, or I'm not ready yet. Have you heard people say, I'm not ready yet to make that decision? 
Well, if you're not ready to make that decision to say yes to Jesus now, you're not ready to die. Because if you were to go out there and get hit by one of those safety carts and die without saying yes to Jesus, you weren't ready. I asked someone one time, so what's keeping you from being ready to accept Jesus? What's keeping you from accepting everything that was his? All that belongs to Jesus is yours too. What's keeping it? Keeping you from doing it? No, it's not Satan, dear. It's me, self. So don't put it off. Do it today. So because I'm a scaredy cat, I'm freaked out about persecution. You know, I, I, I didn't watch any of those apocalypse movies or anything like that, but I just, I just had this, you know, I, I just don't want someone to come in and beat me up or, you know, yank my hair out or stick me with pins. And, you know, you have all of these, these thoughts in your mind about the, what the persecution is going to be like. And so you start freaking out before it even happens. Right? So let's find out what persecution is. Isaiah 54, 17. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this verse. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. Persecution comes in two forms. It's physical, and it's through the tongue, through the emotional, the, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, or, or they, they talk bad about you, they lie about you, they scandalize your name. Persecution, it comes in those ways. And you know what, I think people would rather have somebody punch them out than to scandalize their name. I think of countless godly men and women who were teachers in the system, and a child accuses that person of doing some wrong to them. And perhaps that teacher, that adult, was totally innocent. And what happens to that person's reputation? It's ruined for life. I would rather have someone just beat me up. You know, it's like, just go ahead and spank me and get it over with. So it comes in two ways. Jesus said this, In the world you shall have persecution, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. James, you probably have wondered, what is Jesus talking about there? What does he mean when he says, guess what? In the world you will have persecution, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And the disciples at that moment did not even know what he was talking about. I don't, I don't understand what you mean. But later on they knew. And it's only as we're growing with Christ, growing in grace, that we're able to meet it when it happens. My husband tells me this all the time. He says, why worry about it now? It's not even here yet. And it's right, you know, why worry about it now? It's not here yet. Your, your part is to spend that time with Christ. How much time are we supposed to spend with him? Every day. A thoughtful hour every day that when you start doing that will extend to three hours or more before you even know it. Because you will be so immersed in the life of Christ and you will see how that study of the Word of God is starting to transform your life. You start doing that yesterday and you will be prepared when that trouble comes. Don't waste your time now worrying about it. 2 Timothy 3.12, oh, here's another good verse. All who live godly shall suffer persecution. It's just, just going to happen. The devil does not like it. But here, uh, a friend of ours, a Puerto Rican man who is like this counselor type of a person. You know, I'm, I'm kind of talking about how I'm afraid of the tri time of trouble, and he comes, he puts his arm around me, he says, Darling, you just need to read Psalm 91. Well, I hadn't read Psalm 91. So when I go to read Psalm 91, I'm finding this is pretty awesome. So memorize Psalm 91. What did I say? Psalm 91 what? All of it. All of it. 
You can do it. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you see what that picture is? See the chicks in there underneath the feathers? I think that's so cool. And verses 9 through 11 here, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, another way we could say that, you are abiding in Christ, because you have made him your dwelling place, because you are abiding in him, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. God's word is promise, and he fulfills his word in our lives. We just have to put it there. Psalm 38, 39, and 40. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust him. We need to start learning to trust him. In Psalm 38, 39 through 40. Okay, mark that. Well, check it out. That's a good assignment for you. Find it. Okay. I, I put it there purposely, James. It's like, so you guys can find it. <laughs> it's a 37. Okay, Psalm 37, 39 through 40. Thank you, Helen, you get an A. Okay, the other one is, has God left me? When we feel like, like we're, we're, you know, like, have you ever experienced that where you just feel like, where are you, God? Where are you in this? Well, he is there. Early writings, page 283. Soon I saw the saints suffering great mental anguish. They seemed to be surrounded by the wicked inhabitants of the earth. Every appearance was against them. Some began to fear that God had left them to perish at the hand of the wicked. But if their eyes could have been opened, they would have seen themselves surrounded by the angels of God. Did Jesus feel like he was alone? When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he was not alone. Because his father was with him. That's right, his father was with him. And then page 284, God would not allow the wicked to destroy those who were expecting translation. Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. When you think about those men of faith, men and women of faith, we just saw a picture of Daniel there in the lion's den. I think Daniel had peace when he was standing in front of those kittens. You know, purring. He had confidence in God. And what about his three friends who were thrown into the fiery furnace? Even if our God does not save us, we still will not bow down. I, I need to come to that point in my experience. Honey, I have those cards in that bee bag. Early writings, 284. 283 and 284. And then Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Hebrews 13.5, this is one you can memorize, so you're going to memorize Psalm 91 and Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Write it on a card. Post it somewhere. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Say it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now close your eyes and say it. I will never leave you Okay, so you just memorized it. Hebrews 13.5. Oh, maybe they're in the computer bag, the front. Matthew 28, 20. I am with you until the end of the world, Jesus said to his disciples. How? That, that's like from yesterday on until the end of the world. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Another one. Are my sins forgiven? In the book Early Writings, she writes about the, the saints with this all mental anguish about whether my sins are forgiven. You have the example of Jacob, and when he wrestled with the, with the angel there, he said, his burden was, 
Have I been forgiven? Have I been forgiven? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 197. In his terrible extremity, Jacob remembered God's promises, and his whole heart went out in entreaty for his mercy. Jacob knew the character of God. He knew God, and he knew the promises, and he clung to the word that he had. Now, he didn't have the scripture. Just set them on the table, honey. I, don't, I was going to hand them out here in a minute. Isaiah 54.4, we always work together. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth. Are my sins forgiven? Sometimes those sins come back, don't they? I mean, do you, do you remember sometimes in that you feel so guilty, you feel so like worthless, and like, how can, how man, Lord, <laughs> have I been forgiven for that? The promise says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when those, when those thoughts come back to try to make me feel bad, I say, you're right, Mr. Devil, I did that. But praise God, and he hates it when we say this, praise God that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from that sin. He's made me a new creature. That's not me anymore. And... What it does is it deepens my repentance. So I don't want to do it anymore. I think it's Ezekiel or Isaiah says that when we remember these things, we, we loathe it. We've got to come to the point where we loathe. You know what that word means? Despise. It's disgusting to me. That, that life I used to live, we loathe it. We look at that person who we used to be and it's like on The Biggest Loser and these guys who come in and they're this big and then they look at that person that they used to be and they say, how could I have gotten that way? But praise God that he makes you a new person and that's not you anymore. So don't let the devil try to cause you to believe that that's me now because you're a new creature. And you say that, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. There it is, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what if I can't remember all of my past sins? Oops. I guess, well, if I can't remember all my past sins, then I guess I'm hopeless. Steps to Christ, page 53. Satan is ready to steal away the blessed assurances of God. He desires to take every glimmer of hope and every ray of light from the soul. But you must not permit him to do this. Who's in charge of this? You must not permit him to do this. You must choose. You must choose. And you must choose the promises of God. Do not give ear to the tempter, but say, Jesus died that I might live. He loves me and wills not that I should perish. You need to fight like Jesus did. You need to come back with the scriptures in your, in your moments of temptation. And remember, faith is strengthened with earnest conflict, with doubt and fear. Faith grows, right? You get more faith as you have these conflicts. So that's why we're supposed to say, praise God. Another conflict has come my way. Another battle with doubt. Another battle with self. Lord, thank you for giving me victory. After victory. After victory. And when I fall and I fail, thank you, Lord, that you have not left me. You have not cast me off. Thank you that I can still come to you and weep at your feet for my shortcomings and my mistakes. Don't let this, that old man, that tempter, steal your joy anymore. Rise up with firm faith in the word of God and holding on to Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 31. Ezekiel 36, 31 is the text about loathing your past. Okay, so how do we prepare for the time of trouble? Well, I guess we need to start exercising faith right now. If we haven't already, we start today exercising faith right now. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 1, page 125. That faith which will live through the time of trouble must be daily in exercise yesterday. Now, 
daily in exercise now. Those who do not make strong efforts now to exercise persevering faith will be wholly unprepared to exercise that faith which will enable them to stand in the day of trouble. What kind of faith do we need to be exercising? Persevering. What does that mean, Don? Persevering faith. Moving forward even though you can't see the end of the road, right? Or the light at the end of the road. We had to persevere through a whiteout in the UP here this winter. And it was so coming down so furiously, we could not see the hood of our car. It was that thick and that fast, and it was dark. We didn't know the sides of the road, but we had to persevere through it. And we rode the rumble strip in the middle of the road. But God got us through that time of trouble. Learning that God is real. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 19 years old. I attended a Heritage Singers concert in Yakima, Washington, and they gave an appeal. They sang this one song, Someone is praying for you. When it seems you're all alone and your heart will break in two, remember, someone is praying for you. And I knew that someone was praying for me, and that someone was my Sabbath school teacher that I had when I was a youth. So when they gave an appeal to come forward and accept Jesus, I just could not say in my seat. I think the Lord was just there, and he says, okay, now is the time to do it. And so I got up, and I went forward, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was to expect. I didn't know what my next step was. There wasn't somebody <laughs> up there to come. You know how you see someone from the church comes and puts their arm around you and, and says, okay, I'll be your friend here. Nobody did that. So I'm, all on, I'm on my own. I've got to find Jesus on my own. So I opened my Bible to this. Who can tell me where this, James, I know you know it, but don't say where it is. Where is this text found? Five. Romans 5, 1. I opened my Bible, flew to Romans. Of all places, that's where I'm going to start reading my Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and I committed it to memory. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is New King James Version because that's my Bible. But that verse, there were some words in there that I did not know. And I did not understand what justification was. And I didn't know what faith was. But I knew I needed peace with God. So that started my journey. He directed me to Psalm 34, 7. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts him. So here's how, here's how my faith journey began. It was kind of like a pyramid. My first level, the, the foundation for my faith, was to know and believe that God loved me because that's what I needed. Remember I told you yesterday that my fathers did not love me enough to stay with me. So I needed love and I needed security. And so God built that foundation for me that I could trust him. Now, for you, it may be different. You might have a different foundation, but that's what I needed. James? Thank you. That's verse 8. So I need to learn to trust him and, and taste and see that he's good. So I start working in this restaurant, and I was a waitress at Vip's Restaurant, and I collected change, and so I had all these rolled quarters. And I, I asked my dad, my stepdad, I said, can, can we get a car for me? You know, can I go get a car? And, well, how much money do you have saved up? $200 in rolled quarters. And he says, well, that's not hardly enough of a down payment, but I, I was persevering, right? So I get the nickel paper and I start looking for cars, and there it was. Now, I want to tell you how much God knows my heart, and we can, we can think something, have a desire, but we don't maybe voice it to God. See, I'm just learning how to pray and learning how to ask him. So I just said, Lord, I need a car. But in my mind, I had a specific car. I wanted something specific, but I didn't tell him that. So I'm looking in this paper in the ads there, and I see, for sale, takeover payments, $200. What? Are you kidding me? 
So I took that ad to my dad and we called and the lady said, yes, it's still here, come on over. And guess what it was? <laughs> it was what I wanted. I wanted a 1976 Monza, two plus two hatchback, you know, and this car was new. It had 27 miles on it. This woman's husband purchased it and then died, and she needed to get rid of it. She couldn't handle the payments. So she advertised, give me $200 and take over the payments and it's yours. I had $200, I signed that little agreement, I had my car, and God gave me what I had in my, my desire, in my heart, even though I didn't ask him for that. But see, he's building now, he's building my foundation. He's letting me know by these little things that he loves me and that he's going to take care of my needs. Okay, and something else. I started to learn to claim his promises and start to watch him work in my behalf. This is how it works. You come to him as a little child and you start to see him develop in you that trust. So when Jed and I got married, our, our favorite Bible verse was Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience the peace of God, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, we were um, kind of poor when we got married. Jed worked at a, a gas station, and I didn't work. And so, you know, we're trying to make it on, what, $3 an hour, or was it even that much? Okay, you got to raise to $3. So we had to start learning to claim promises, claiming God's word in your behalf. You know you can do that. You can take one of these Bible verses and you can say, Lord, you said right here, and I'm claiming this, that it means me, that you would provide all of my needs. And Lord, we have needs. And we're not demanding of God, you see. We're just saying, Lord, we want to trust you. We need to learn to trust you. And so now we're having a little bit of a difficult time here. But your word says that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, I've got some of these. You guys just have to look these verses up, okay? All right. So, um, yeah, what does this picture have to do with anything? So we were down. I mean, we were at the end of the rice and beans. We had Puerto Rican friends, Mexican friends, and so we learned that that's the good food, the rice and beans, you eat them. Well, we were down, and I was even almost out of oatmeal. I mean, that's really critical. And so I'm kind of whining to the Lord. You know how that is? Lord, yeah, I just, how come, how come we can never make it? How come we always have to come to this point? Let's see, faith grows with earnest conflict, with doubt and fear. I've got a little baby at home. How come I, I don't have a washing machine, Lord? I have to hand wash my diapers in the bathtub and hang them all over. Why do we have to live like this? I know it sounds really silly, but sometimes I would get to that point. But the Lord just kept saying, that's okay, trust me, I'm going to take care of you. I will take care of you. So our friends... Raul and Carolyn came over, and we were, we kind of, I was kind of whining to them about, woe is me, I'm out of the rice and beans. So three weeks later, I'm kind of still in the same state of mind, and I go and I clean my bathroom. And there on the tank of the toilet, underneath a plant, as I lifted it up to clean underneath, was a $50 bill folded neatly up. <gasps> $50! Where did this come from? And of course, all my faith was there. And oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I was whining and complaining. But there it was. When Raul and Carolyn came over for Friday night supper, I was just telling them all this wonderful news. And they said, well, praise God you found it. We put it there three weeks ago when we were here. <laughs> but we have to learn that God will take care of our needs. And when we can learn it then, we're ready when the tough times come. Now, um, I'm losing my thing back here. Um, <clears throat> there we go. I just got to fix things. This is my daughter and I. She's a week old in this picture. I was very happy. Uh, I became pregnant when she was about 14 months old and uh, found out that it was an ectopic pregnancy. Now, 
you, you know what an ectopic pregnancy is, right? So I had one of those. I ended up in the emergency room and nearly hemorrhaged to death. I had all this pain and everything inside, and, and um, I lost that baby. And I had a lot of damage, you know, internal bleeding creates havoc with, with your insides. Well, I experienced that. But I, I, you know, the years went on and I wasn't able to conceive again and I really, really wanted another child. And so I'm learning about faith and I'm learning to claim God's word. And I know that he doesn't have preferences. You know, you've read that. The Lord doesn't prefer one over another. He's not a respecter of persons, King James says. And so as I'm reading the word, you know, I get this, this thought, well, exercise faith. God can do anything. Doesn't the scripture say that? Does the scripture say there's nothing too hard for God? Okay, so I go to a doctor to find out why I'm not able to have another baby. And he, you know, looks at all the charts and I have an examination. He says, well, there's just been too much tissue damage. You'll never be able to conceive again. And so I look at him. He says, well, I serve a big God. And there's nothing too hard for him. And he doesn't love Sarah any more than he loves me. If it was impossible for Sarah and he made it work, then he can make it work in me. And I went home. Now, I wasn't being boastful and like, nah, 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 to that doctor. But I had faith that God would do this in my life. All my faith laid out in the line with God. And you know what? I found myself pregnant again. Wow, God, you did it. I knew you could do it. But I found out that it was a second ectopic pregnancy, and it was not going to happen for me. You know, you come close to losing your life twice. It's not fun. So I, I started to uh, think about when I prayed and God answered. And you know that old devil is right there to throw that doubt and fear into your mind again. Like saying, you know, suggesting things in my mind such as, see, you think you serve a God who loves you? You prayed, you put all of your faith on the line, you gave him your heart, and this is how he wants to answer your prayer? Answer your prayer and then take it away and dash your hopes and just completely flatten you out? Have you ever been so disappointed that you have no emotional energy? Well, that's where I found myself. The Ministry of Healing, page 250. When care, perplexity, and darkness seem to surround your soul, look to the place where you last saw the light. These times will come if they haven't already. You have experienced a time of trouble in your life, and it's only been there to strengthen your faith in Christ. So I'm laying in the hospital bed. I've got an IV pole stuck to my arm. And, you know, I'm just so discouraged, so heavy with this cloud of doubt. And the thoughts are, you know, like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it, God. Where are you, God? All these things that we said are fears. God has left me. I'm all alone. And so I just wanted to lay there, and the nurse came in and said, you can go take a shower, Jody. It might help you. So she, you know, helped me get out of bed, and, you know, I'm just so discouraged, and I'm sore, and I'm angry with God, and I just, you know, just want to be left alone. And so I get into the shower, and all of a sudden, these tears just seem to flow. And I'm just saying, I don't get it, God. I don't get it. Why did you just... Why did you disappoint me this time? I trusted you with this. This is really what I wanted, and you took it away. Faith grows strong in earnest conflict with doubt and fear. 
And so it's like this. This thought comes into my mind and says, go back to where you first saw the light, that God loves you, and say it aloud. Well, I don't want to say it aloud. We'll say it anyway. So I said, God loves me. Kind of in this pitiful little weak voice, God loves me. That's a good start, the thought said. I'll say it again. Kind of emphasize those words. So I did, God loves me. Well, say it again. God loves me. And say it again. God loves me. So three times I did that. And you know what? Those clouds left me. I had peace, although I was very emotionally and physically drained, but I had peace. The devil had to leave me. I made it to my bed. I got myself situated, and I was ready to go to sleep. I still don't want to see anybody. Don't come and visit me. When a chaplain walked in and looked at my chart, she was an Asian woman, very small Asian woman. Mrs. Jensen? Yes, that's me. And she took my hand in hers, and she patted it, and she said, it's so hard to lose a baby, isn't it? And all those Doubts and fears, and that cloud came right back. Well, I had just experienced them leaving me when I exclaimed that God loves me. And so I took my blankets, my covers, and I covered my head like this, and I said, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And then these words came, and honestly, sister, I don't know where they came from because it certainly wasn't in me to say it. But I said, I have given my life to Christ, and whatever he wants to do with this life is okay, because my life is hid with Christ in God. Faith declares the victory in the midst of the battle. Christ had not left me. He was with me. God loves me. That's the place you can always return that God loves you, God loves you, and you, and you, and you. And you need to believe it. Continuing with the Ministry of Healing, page 250, rest in Christ's love and under his protecting care. I love this one. Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2, Chapter 55. Your mind may often be clouded because of pain. Then do not try to think. You know. Wait. Do not try to think, but just rest and show that you have committed your soul to God as unto a faithful Savior, faithful Creator. There's another one that says, do not try to think. You know that Jesus loves you. Sometimes we're sick. That's for our good, you know. So we don't have to think. We just rest. It is your privilege to show in your weakness and suffering that you do not doubt the love of God towards you. It is your privilege, it's your privilege to show in your weakness and suffering that you do not doubt the love of God towards you, that you know that he is faithful who has promised, and that you trust soul and body into his hands, and that he will keep that which is committed to his trust. Write it down. Put it on your wall somewhere. The Ministry of Healing, page 474. I love this. In the future life, the mysteries that have here annoyed and disappointed us shall be made plain. Lord, I don't get it. And I didn't get it for so many years. I kept asking him, why? How come this happened? I don't understand it. We shall see that our seemingly unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes have been among our greatest blessings. After that experience, Romans 8.28 was like my worst favored verse. You know what it says? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you probably have memorized that verse before. Well, I did not like it. I could not see what good is going to come from this experience. Some of you may have had that. You're still waiting for God to show you. 
And I waited a long, long time, and he finally showed me what it was. We need to increase our prayer life. Early Writings, page 72 to 73, I have frequently seen that the children of the Lord neglect prayer, especially secret prayer, altogether too much. We should be much in secret prayer. If the enemy can lead the desponding to take their eyes off Jesus and look to themselves and dwell upon their own unworthiness, he will get away their shield of faith and gain his object. That's his object, to pull you away from your stronghold, to get you to doubt and fear. You need to accept who you are in Christ. Now, my husband and I did weeks of prayer for academies, and at every week of prayer, similar to what we're doing here, I was sharing this testimony of how God, you know, worked in my life, and even though, you know, I couldn't see, my circumstances were against me, that I couldn't see beyond it, I still needed to persevere and to trust God with my life. And I'm, I'm getting to the part where I would say, I don't get it, when there was an interruption in my thoughts. From the east came flying Gabriel himself with a scroll for me. It's like, hold on, Jody, I've got something for you. I've got a message from the throne for you. And he comes down and, you know, I'm imagining this, okay, but he comes down, but this thought came into my mind. Yes, I did perform a miracle in your life. I answered your prayer. I gave you what you asked for. I'm just keeping it for eternity. But I wanted you to experience, Jody, experience the power of grace over your doubt and fear. You needed to experience it because you wouldn't understand it otherwise. So he gave me that experience so that I know that he can be, cause me to become victorious. Accept who you are in Christ. I'm going to run through these quickly here. Number one, it doesn't matter what others think of you. It doesn't matter what others think of you. What matters is what the Father thinks of Christ. <coughs> because Christ in you is the hope of glory. <coughs> you are his friend, John 15, 15. You are complete in him, Colossians 2.10. You are holy and without blame before him, Ephesians 1.4. You are more than conqueror through him, Romans 8.37. You are secure, Isaiah 49.16 and John 10.28. And you have great value, Jeremiah 31.3. Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. This is one of the verses that we were, um, we pro Jed and I agreed that when I was in labor with my daughter Beth, that uh, you know, we couldn't afford the Lamaze classes, so we were going to go totally natural without any education. So he was just going to quote Bible promises to me. Does that work, ladies? Okay, so I'm, I am right in the midst of a good one, right? And he starts in, he says, Don't be afraid, neither be dismayed. And I said, Not now, honey, not now. <clears throat> but the, <laughs> the word of God is true. And I just want to leave you. Jed has some cards for you. We're going to hand those out. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. You know, that's what the devil tempted Jesus with. If you are the Son of God, if you are, he's going to tempt you the same way. If you are a child of God. So let's go ahead and... where Did, did you lose them, honey? It's been our pleasure to be here with you. And good for you. It's been our pleasure to be here, and we hope that it has has encouraged your heart. There's so much more that we could present. We had to choose just five. And um, I believe the Lord, Lord helped us with what, we, what you needed. These little cards um, I made up. 
a couple years ago for my when we do a week of prayer. And it's something you can put on your refrigerator. But it's who I am in Christ. And you will notice that they're alphabetically, and they're in alphabetical order, with the exception of a couple of one letter in the alphabet. Do you like one? So when you find that letter, you can think of something that will go with it. <laughs> that was real hard for me to do that. Have you found what letter it is yet? X. I don't know what, what you are with X, but I'm sure it's something. So let's go ahead and have prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much that we don't have to fear the future because we know how you have led us in the past. Jesus, please go with these dear people here, the folks that have come day after day. Lord, please strengthen their hearts. Please prepare them now for the trouble that they may face. Seal us all, Lord. That's what we want. We want to be with you forever. As we prepare for the Sabbath, Lord, I pray that our thoughts will be directed heavenward. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.